This is David Lloyd, editor of There's Only One F in Fulham, and you are listening to the fabulous Fulham Focus podcast. Here we go again, it's the Fulham Focus podcast. My name's Matt Wachler, and the Whites have just seven games left to get out of this shit, starting this Friday night at Craven Cottage as we welcome Wolves to our beautiful but still empty stadium in West London. There's no excuses, there's no margin for error, and there's two co-hosts with me who have no fingernails left, but they're not afraid to pull any punches tonight as we look ahead to yet another season-defining match. It's Matt Dom and J-Mac, so let's go. Fulham. Well, lads, this is the first of three home games we've got left this season. It's another cup final, it's another must-win, it's another shit-or-bust match, and a win gets us out of the bottom three at least until Newcastle play on Sunday. Dom, how do we win this match? Please tell me. <laughs> uh, that's that's not an easy question first off, is it, mate? Um, be better beyond, beyond that? I don't know. I mean, create more and stop defending like donkeys would, would help. Uh, we hadn't been defending like don- donkeys until we've come back from the international break, so... Who knows? Um, yeah, we've we, we keep saying it's must win, don't we? Um, we've lost two must wins in a row, so I'm not, I'm not going to put any labels on this one. It's not must win until you know until there's no other option and we're we're down. So we'll keep fighting. Hopefully, hopefully Scott has got in his locker the ability to put a rocket out their ass because that's what they need. What's your feeling, J Mac? How are we going to do uh... it? We've... To be honest, I mean, my, my knowledge is, is is as bad as anyone's who basically is a fan. But I, I, by judging what Wolves are playing like at the moment, I mean, they defend narrow and they attack wide with their fullbacks. If, if it's a classic 3-4-3 Nuno fashion, um, I think we need to bring our crosses in a lot for Mitro as usual and maybe go with the five at the back, three at the back, wing back formation for us this one uh, we just need to also get stuck in a bit more we need to break up their, their transitions which they thrive on they're a very big counter-attacking team um, I just think also just generally just stop the rot as, as Don was saying with our confidence there seems to be just can't really score goals and now we can't really defend he's got the candle burning at both ends at the moment so it's quite worrying but you know it only felt like a few weeks ago that it was we were third in the form table and now as things stand, we are third from bottom of the table. But lucky for us, Wolves are bottom. So there, there is an opportunity here for sure, but we just need to be careful. Is a draw a, a good enough result, do you think? Anybody? Draws don't do us any good, do they, at the moment? No. I mean, we've been saying this for a long time and... I don't think it is. <laughs> we, we've changed from draws to defeat, so that's even worse. But, uh, but um, no, we've we've... They're, a, they're there for the taking. J Match just said they're bottom of the form table. Normally, you'd be like, you'd be rubbing your hands, but as Fulham fans, we know we know what that really means, don't we? Um, <laughs> if you don't beat Wolves, bottom of the form table at home when you really need to, then you don't deserve to stay up, do you? I think it's as simple as that. We've we've really got to win. Yes, yeah, I, I agree with you. And if, this is what Danny was saying the other day as well after the Villa game when he came on the show. You know, if um, if you set up to to not lose, um, then you're not going to win very many games and eventually your luck's going to run out. And that's what's been happening to us recently. Um, 
at all right. It was it was quite a late show against Villa, and we we almost we almost got there. But then a couple of mistakes, and that's it. It's, it's game over, and you know you're not getting back in the game. So we've just we've got to be we've we've just got to be more offensive and attack more. I think. And as you say, Wolves are at bottom of the the form table. They're without a win in five games. They've not really kicked on this season in the way that you may have expected them to, but that may have something to do firstly with the sale of Diogo Shota to Liverpool and also the fractured skull that's kept Raul Jimenez out of the, the side since Wolves won at Arsenal at the end of November. They're currently 11 points worse off than this time last season and nine points worse off than the season before in 2018-19. But yet they're nine points ahead of us, sitting in 14th place. But... Lads, have you been surprised at how low-key their season has been this season, given their success in the past few years? I am a bit surprised how badly Wolves are doing. As you say, they miss they miss Diego Jota, but I, I feel like at the moment they're going through a bit of a transitional period. It seems that Nuno is trying to revert, is trying to think about next season how he wants his team to play and a bit more attacking. And against West Ham, they went four two three one. It looks like they're trying to attempt four at the back now, and with that, they are losing a lot of the defense that they have. They had the defenders for free at the back, but now with the with the loss of Johnny and Bolly, um, which is sounds hilarious when you say say those names together, but but with the, with the loss of those two defenders at the moment to injury, um, they don't look like the same team at all as they were before. So I'm I'm not surprised in that regard that they're leaking in as as many goals. Well, they're just not winning like they used to because they've lost Jota and they have lost their just their shape at the moment. It's it's an interesting time. I mean, I think we could probably take advantage of it like West Ham did if they still go for four at the back. But I don't know what Dom thinks about about it all. Yeah, take advantage of it just like uh, just like you could take advantage of a Grealish list Aston Villa, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, that's the spirit, mate. Hey, that's the spirit. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we've got no we've, we've got no option but to do that. I, I, they're a funny side, I think. Like, in the Championship, they had a Premier League quality team, didn't they? They haven't really kicked on from there. So I think last season, since they've got promoted, they've probably perhaps overachieved a bit, really, with the players they've got. Because I don't think they've got that much of a squad. They've got a good first team. But as as we're seeing, if they get a few injuries, a few players out of form, then then um, it's kind of fallen, fallen apart for them a bit. Yeah, mate, it's not, uh, it's not, like, not like ours, is it? No, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Be, they're crying out for the defence that we've got on the bench. Yeah. The, the two defences we've got on the bench. It's funny you mention that, though. Is, is, is Congolo fit, do we know? Who? Has he been... Exactly. Has he been on the bench? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? As long as we got Who's... Dennis Adoy, Tim Ream and Michael Hector oh. on the bench, mate, that's all I care about. <laughs> no, I, was just, I was just about to say... I think I think Tosin needs a break, and now you've said that, <laughs> start him. <laughs> yeah, playing even playing like he did against Villa, he's uh, the best out of those options, isn't he? Christ! All right. I mean, let's 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 be honest. Tosin is a is a great defender. He's been superb for us all season, but he's just made a couple of mistakes recently, and. Uh, that, a couple of mistakes like that, if the crowd are in the stadium and there's there's groans as he makes those mistakes, then it could take a bit of time for him to come back from that. But thankfully, he's playing in front of nobody at the moment. And hopefully, he's got the character about him to just put those mistakes behind him and just find his form again. We need him to. It's, it's, he's got to. He's got to. Because, you know, we know what happens if you put those other defenders in at this level. It, 
it just starts going horribly wrong like it did at the start of the season. Now's not the time for that. Um, let's move on then. Um, I just wanted to ask you, just uh, for a trip down memory lane, I'll come to you first, J-Mac. What are your memories of, of playing Wolves? We've had a few good games with them over the years, um, but which one are you going to pick, mate? Uh, yeah, I mean, there have been some thrillers. I think there was one before the one I picked. I think there was a 5-0 somewhere. I can't remember what date that was, but this one that I've picked is the is the 4-all um, in the championship. This was in 2017, I think it was. or two, No, it was 2016. It was just um, our second season under Slav, and it was an absolute... Uh, it, it was a, a nuts game. What was even more nuts about it was that we were wearing red, and they were wearing orange but it was like a more of a darker shade so you couldn't actually tell who was you know who was who on the pitch really um but it, it was fantastic and it, i think it was floyd ayite when he was in his prime for us and he scored um scored the the equalizer in the 94th minute i think it was yeah it was four all tom kenny scored an absolute screamer as well stephanie hansen scored um and also ivan caballero scored which is a rarity um he wasn't playing for us either. He was playing. He, he was good so, against us. Yeah, that's. I, rem- I remember a couple was, of times. Yeah. He had a good, great game at the cottage as well against us. Um, yeah, what happened? Then, <laughs> yeah, he can't play against us anymore. That's maybe that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I went on. Um, yeah, but that, that's my memory. I went on a uh, on a on a Wolves podcast yesterday to talk about the game with them, and the uh, the guy who was asking me the questions asked me about, he said, oh, because you've got uh, an ex-player of ours, haven't you, uh, who we absolutely loved? And I thought, yeah, Kevin McDonald. And then he said, Cavalero. <laughs> and I, I thought, oh, you, oh, you loved him. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Yeah, no, he, um, he plays for us. That's right, yeah. Um, but there's every chance he'll play if um, if Adam Oda-Lutman isn't, isn't available. But anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll quickly do my one. Um, and you, you, you mentioned it there, actually, the 5-0 back in 2012 which um, upon doing my research, I discovered was our 1,000th ever league victory. Uh, Martin Yell was our manager. Terry Connor had just taken over as Wolves manager from Mick McCarthy, who was sacked less than a month before. And yeah, we turned him over 5-0. Uh, Pogrebniak got a hat-trick. His first one was a powerful header from a Damien Duff corner. The second one, he put in the top corner from uh, an Andy Johnson pass. Um the third one was uh, a great finish by Clint Dempsey after an amazing ball from Danny Murphy. I'd forgotten the goal, but it was he took about four or five players out with this pass. It was just such a good ball. Um, that the um, in, right, Fred, was that the perfect hat trick that he did? Was that was, the, the right foot, the left foot, and the header? Yeah, I remember right. that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, back when back when we liked Pogrebniak, and then he uh, then he left for Reading at the end of the season, didn't he? Um, yeah. The, the, yeah, the, the fourth goal um, was his hat-trick goal after uh, Baldo's favourite goalkeeper ever, Wayne Hennessy, um, parried, parried out a shot from Andy Johnson. And uh, yeah, Pogrebniak tapped home for his, uh, his hat-trick. And then the fifth one was set up for Clint Dempsey by Mohamedou Diara on his debut, which was an amazing finish into the top corner. That was his 18th of the season and what we'd give for an 18-goal-a-season striker now. Um Pogrebniak, that was his fifth goal in three games for us. And it was the first time we'd won three games in a row since the great escape four years prior in 2008, which seems like a um, a very uh, a very surprising stat given how well we did in between those seasons. Um, it was only Terry Connor's second game in charge for Wolves. He drew his first one at Newcastle and then lost the next seven, beginning with that 5-0 defeat against us. And they ended up finishing bottom of the league with 25 points. And we finished ninth with 52 points. So, yeah, big game for us. That one, we don't often uh, smash teams 5-0. Um, 
I'd take a one nil against Wolves this time in off somebody's ass, to be honest. But that's um, that's that's something else. All right, Don, what have you got, mate? Sadly, can't be Kevin McDonald for that. Um, <laughs> no, against his old club, that would have been nice. But um, <laughs> I've got I've gone for a slightly more recent two um, nil in 2018 uh, Championship season. Uh, season we went up, obviously through the playoffs, and um, just. This this game had one of my favourite Mitro goals, uh, where he sort of took on a couple of players on the edge of the box and just powered his way in and then drilled it into the bottom corner. Um, I think it's the first goal he, he forced a save from the keeper and Sessegnon tapped it in. And it was just, it was the game where I thought, do you know what? We, we could do this. I thought at, at the chance, at the time, Wolves were far and away the best team in the league and we completely outclassed them. And you think, well, we're not that far behind Cardiff. We we could get second here. We're good enough. Um, you know, we, we've got this striker now. We've got Mitro, who's the, the missing link. And I thought it was all going to go perfectly for us from that point. It wasn't quite to be, but um, Mitro's performance just makes me think that's that's what we need. That we need that dominant centre forward display that he put in that second half of that season. Over the next seven games, just give give everything he's got and that could be enough for us starting with starting with Friday if you could do that again that would be just a brilliant start I don't think there's any doubt that he'll give everything for us and just looking back at that run you just you just wonder how we didn't manage to do it and go up automatically all right we, we did go up in the playoffs deservedly so but we just kept winning but then Cardiff just kept winning all the time as yeah. well just bloody annoying but Ultimately, as we've said quite quite a few times on the show and, you know, privately, I expect too, if you could pick a way to go up, it's going up at Wembley, isn't it, in front of 40,000 of your own fans. So it all worked out in the end. But, yeah, it did, it did feel after that game that we've just beaten the best team in the league. And that second goal from Mitro just came at a really delicate point in the game, didn't it? Because it, it almost killed the game off after that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, brilliant night. One of many brilliant nights that season. All right, we're well, talking about brilliant strikers who know where the back of the net is. Um, uh, let's go across to a chat that I have very recently with Baldo. It's our in focus chat about Dimitar Berbatov. Fulham. Well, it's time for another in focus chat. This week, I've got Baldo with me to talk about. Fulham's Bulgarian striker, Dimitar Berbatov. How are you doing, Baldo? I'm doing very good. Uh, looking forward to chatting about one of the more, uh, let's just say, problematic, but at the same time, exciting Fulham players that we've managed to have over the years. I was going to say colourful, but yeah, let's let's get into it then. So Fulham signed the then 31-year-old Bulgarian striker Dimitar Berbatov from Manchester United for an undisclosed fee at the end of August 2012 where he linked up again with Martin Yole, for whom he played at Spurs. This was a huge signing for Fulham and quite a coup when you consider that he scored 56 goals in 149 appearances and lifted two Premier League titles whilst at Old Trafford and also ended the 2010-11 season as joint top Premier League goalscorer with Carlos Tevez. It almost seemed an impossible signing for Fulham at the time, didn't it? Yeah, it did because, you know, you go back and you know, during our time in the Premier League, there have been some big you know, big name signings. I'm thinking more, you know, Edwin Badesai is probably, you know, probably the biggest. But along the side of that, Dimitar Berbatov, just, it was just baffling. I, rem- I remember what I was doing when I first heard it. I remember 
this shouldn't surprise anyone who knows anything about my weight. I was on the way back from KFC because I was having lunch. It was on it was on transfer deadline day, and I just happened to be listening to one of these shows because Twitter and social media and everything wasn't quite as big and as part of my as part of my life as it was. So and indeed in short general life. So all these, you know, Twitter transfer deadline day things, it just wasn't the same then. So I was just listening to, I think it was Talk Sports with, I think, Colin Murray hosting. And he just happened to say, oh, Fulham are interested in Dimitar Berbatov. And at the at the point, I just thought, nah, that can't be right. There's, no. But I get he's, you know, 31, not exactly in the retirement age, but it's still there. I can get the mind, you know, thing, but I just didn't, I just didn't believe it. And then... The news comes through that he signed, and it, I was just stunned that we were able to pull off such a such a massive, you know, at least you know in terms of name recognition, such a massive signing. It was unbelievable. Yeah, like you, I remember what I was doing as well. I was on holiday uh, with my family at the time, and I just had a text from a guy that I worked with at the time who was a Spurs fan. He just messaged saying, "Looks like you're getting Berbatov." And I just rolled my eyes and thought, yeah, that's a that's a classic link that's never going to come off. You hear things like this all the time, which is just like really bizarre um, transfer rumours. And for me, it was just one of those ones that I just almost brushed off. And then again, like you, when it happened, I was like, how on earth have we managed to get him? But of course, then I, I guess, you know, he, he did get on well with Martin Yo. Um, they, they had a, a strong, strong link up at Tottenham. Um, and that's obviously what brought him in. Without without Martin Yo, we don't get Dimitar Berbatov. So he made his debut off the bench away at West Ham at the beginning of September. But his introduction at half time came when we were already 3 0 down at Upton Park. It had already been a mixed start to the season for the Whites. We disposed of Norwich 5 0 on the opening day and then lost 3 2 at Old Trafford. And sadly, our new signing could do nothing to turn around our fortunes on his debut. However, he was to start the next game at home to West Brom, where he scored twice in a 3 0 victory. What do you remember about that day and the, the matches that were to come? Well, I can tell you what I remember about that day, which was absolutely nothing because I wasn't there. I was on holiday. So I'd actually given my my ticket that day to a um to a Spurs fan of mine who absolutely loves Dimitar Berbatov. Like he is Berbatov is his favorite Spurs player of all time. So he said, Oh, the chance to go see Berbatov again, you know, for free, because I'd given him my ticket. He jumped to the opportunity and he, he was just texting me during the game and he was like, Oh, but he hasn't lost it. He's absolutely brilliant. He's dominating the players. I just remember it was brilliant that that first couple of days. And again, there was just still that sort of aura about him because, you know, obviously I wasn't there for the first day. But the rest of the games, you could just tell that there was that class about him. We know that he wasn't exactly he wasn't exactly blessed with blessed with pace or anything, but the way he controlled the ball and the way he dictated things, it was it was just absolutely beautiful to watch. You know, not exciting like Barmorte driving down the wing or, you know, the physicality that I like with Brian McBride. But there was just something about him, the grace. I know I'm going to get all wanky with the poetic language and everything, but it was absolutely true. Some of the, some of the stuff he pulled off. And it was as if he was a luxury player at that time. He was actually quite an important part of the team. And he scored a, he scored a couple of goals in that point. And we weren't exactly the greatest. It wasn't exactly you know, a thrilling side at that point. It was Miladin Petrich and Hugo Rodriguez were our other options up top. But to just have that name, you know, to to round everything off, it was just beautiful to watch that that, that first six months. It was it was awe inspiring. 
I think Berbatov was also given unfair criticism throughout his career for being this lazy player. But all right, he didn't. He wouldn't make a a thirty yard run to make a block or something. But he'd be in the right place at the right time, and he could finish superbly from anywhere around the penalty box, couldn't he? The, you know, he, watching the watching the montage of his goals that he scored for Fulham. There's just such a variety. Yeah, I think lazy. You can you can sort of make the argument later on during when we're ready to get ball, we'll get onto that. But certainly during that first sort of six months, it brings me back to or it makes me think about. I think it was Cannavaro or maybe Maldini who makes the phase. You know, if I'm in the wrong position, you no, know, if I have to make a tackle, I'm in the wrong position. It was that sort of thing with Berbatov. If he has to run anywhere, that means he was he was in the wrong position to sort of make up for his mistake. He was always in the right place. He was always dictating play. He was, but and he had a brilliant footballing brain as well because, as I say, he was dictating play. And I think the problem with it is the rest of the team weren't quite up to it. So he would see a neat pass or a neat through ball. And, you know, the wingers, likes of Damon Duff or, you know, or Petrich or Radier or Dempsey or anyone, just weren't thinking at the same level as him. But he could spot where the gaps were, but no one else could. So I think that sort of held him back. And it's sort of in fans' eyes. I remember that at the time, you know, people saying, oh, Berbatov's too clever for the team. But that just that just means that you've got a player that's almost detrimental to the team, doesn't it? If if they can't make it work between them, then it's it's just a strange situation. I don't I don't necessarily buy that argument. Yeah, again, it, it depends on sort of what you want. Again, if it's going if it's going well for you, as it sort of was, because that season wasn't a total disaster for us. It wasn't if we were in a relegation battle. But you know, so if we were in a relegation battle, people would have, you know, it would have been more of a thing. But the fact that we were you know, comfortably mid-table for the majority yeah. of that season. It it sort of get it sort of gets you know passed by by a lot of, by a lot of people. I think. Well, on Boxing Day that season, he scored against Southampton. Took off his shirt, and it revealed the slogan on his vest underneath: "Keep calm and pass me the ball." He was, of course, booked for taking his shirt off, and then received quite a lot of criticism for for being arrogant. I personally found it quite funny, though. What what did you make of it? I found it funny as well, and it's again. I was at, I was at the game, and obviously it happens down the Putney end, and I'm in the, and I'm in the Hammersmith end. So, with the pile of bodies around him, you you didn't really see what had gone on. It wasn't until sort of half time had come around that I'm seeing all the messages come through on so on social media. Again, still in infancy at that point, but I'm just seeing oh Berbatov booked four, and then trying to see, you're trying to you see the picture and think. What the hell is he saying? You've got to find like the right picture to find out what he says. As a, oh yeah, I, I I can get that. I, I think I think that's quite funny. Again, it just shows you know what we were saying earlier. He was one he was one step ahead of everybody else, so it felt like he was above everyone. And you can sort of get that. You know, there was a touch you know a touch of arrogance about it, but in a way, he deserved it because he was. Because I think that was Sasharitha's first season with us, and he got play- he got Player of the Year that season, quite rightly. But there was just that Berbatov; he had the that idea of he was above everyone else, he was better than everyone else because he was. And you want to have your best player on the ball, so give the ball to him. It, it made some level of sense. I think Martin Yol was quoted as saying something along the lines of that was a pretty daft thing to do. And I think Al Fayed was uh, wasn't best pleased with it either. But you know, if, uh, for entertainment purposes, then I didn't mind it. I thought it was all right. 
Absolutely. As, as a one-off, I didn't mind it. It's like I get quite annoyed with Zlatan Ibrahimovic a bit. Like some of the level he goes to with his, you know, arrogance slash confidence, I think goes slightly over the top in my mind. But Berbatov, as a one-off, I didn't, I didn't mind it. And also it led to when this will be a throwback. This will be one for the youngsters. The Harlem Shake video that we released a couple of months later, and he had the keep calm and do the Harlem. Again, it was like nice, nice yeah. funny throwback to that. Yeah, it was one moment. It's not something that dominated his career or his life or anything like that. So as a one-off, it's fine. All right. Well, he went on to score 15 goals in 33 appearances in his first season, and he was our top scorer that season, of course. He was just too shy of our record Premier League return in front of goal, which was achieved by Clint Dempsey the previous season before he left for Spurs. He had 17 in 37 that previous season. Wasn't a bad replacement for our prolific American, was he? No, and when you mentioned I know you mentioned it was an undisclosed fee, but I think the the fee itself was around five million pounds, maybe even somewhere less than that. I I remember it wasn't exactly a grand fee. So we certainly got got our money's worth for it, and I'm pretty sure we got our money back off it for all the Berbatov shirts we sold off the back, which I which I did buy because I was one of the saps that saps that fell for it. Got a, I, I've never bought a long sleeve shirt except for the Berbatov one because he wore long sleeve shirts. I fell for it, um, yeah. but I'm glad I did. Um, but yeah, absolutely fantastic return. And it back you now back to what I was saying earlier. He was a great great player for us. You know, at the age of 31, he wasn't over the hill. He still had something to give. And you know, his prime years were obviously at Manchester United, but. We still had just that one year, that final year of his prime, you could argue, was probably with us. And, you know, we were grateful for it. Yeah, definitely. Well, the following 2013-14 season was really a grim affair all round, wasn't it? It was the Khan's first season at the club. Martin Yole probably outstayed his welcome as manager with the club underperforming on the pitch. Rennie Moodlenstein took over in late 2013 but a player like Berbatov ended up becoming a, an unwanted luxury in a struggling team, um, a luxury we couldn't really afford and not the sort of player we needed in a relegation dogfight. He managed four goals in 18 appearances that season and then went on to join Monaco in the January. We'll never know if it was the right thing to do and what would have happened had he stayed for the rest of the season, but it really felt like the right thing to do at the time, didn't it? It did for me anyway. Yeah, it did. And you could tell, this goes back to what we were saying about, you know, not not laziness, but just the way he played. And the way Mullenstein played, he wanted to play with a lot of energy. That's why he brought in, you know, I remember his first or second start 11 against Spurs, ironically. It was De Jagger and Richardson out on the wing with Karagounis, who even at the age of 90 could still run for days. So there was a lot of energy and a lot of pace in that team. And Berbatov didn't really offer that. And, you know, there was time where, again, he wants to be the creator. He wants to dictate play, which is all well and good when you're, you know, you're outside the box and you're looking for something. But when you're meant to be the main centre forward, you're meant to be in the box. And he wasn't really offering anything for the team. So if we could get, you know, if we got rid of him, which you know, we did, I'm assuming that would have taken a whole off of our wage structure. And, you know, now who's going to be more helpful for us in this situation? Is it going to be Berbatov, who's slow? Uh, yep, slow, not exactly putting in the most effort, but for reasons we, we've already discussed. Or would you rather have someone like Kostas Mitroglou? On the face of it, it seems like it seemed like the right deal. Obviously, we know what happened with Mitroglou, but even someone like Lewis Holtby as well, bringing him in for the past. You just wanted someone who you would actually be, would actually do something for the team rather than be a detriment, like you mentioned earlier. 
Yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to ask you what your favourite Dimitar Berbatov goal was for Fulham. Um, I'm going to give you mine first of all. Um, it was the uh, the third goal um, in the in the the three all draw at the Medeci Stadium against Reading. I think we went a goal down that day, and then Brian Rui scored an absolute belter to equalise. Chris Baird got a header um, with about probably 10, 15 minutes to go. And it felt like we were going to go on to win the game at that point, but Reading equalised. Then Berbatov scored an outstanding goal, which the ball was played into him in the box um, by Steve Sidwell. And he almost kind of like backtracked to create some space for himself before picking the ball up and sticking it in the bottom corner. Um, fantastic goal. Um, and then somehow there was still enough time for Reading to go up and equalise again and, and make it three or and almost then went and won it, actually. Um, I got engaged the day before um, and took my fiance to the game. That was her first Fulham game. And um, she ended up sticking around with me for about as long as Berbidoff stuck around w- with Fulham in the end. So, yeah, ha- <laughs> happy, endings all- yeah happy endings all round. <laughs> <laughs> well, only for about six months, it appears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, yeah, no, that that, that, was, a, um, that was a really good game and, and, and a really good goal. And I really enjoyed that Berbidoff goal. And I, I enjoyed the way that he came over and almost jumped into the crowd to celebrate when he scored as well. How about you? Yes. How, what, which was your favourite? Uh, my favourite one was his last one in the 2012-13 season, which was away at Swansea. It was the second in a 3-0 win. And it just sort of epitomised, the, the again, the class and the grace that he had because he was played through by, I think, Brian Ruiz. I, I, went back and looked, I went back and saw the goal, but I can't remember who gave the assist. But he was played through, cleaned through. And the way he rounds the goalkeeper... It was as if he just pushed the ball off to one side to then round him, similar to you know Mitrovic scored his goal recently against Aston Villa. That sort of thing. It was just gracefully just glided past the goalkeeper and stuck it into the empty net. And I just remember that whole day because I was there because I was there at Swansea the other day, and it was a proper away you know end of season party atmosphere because we'd ended that season with a couple of really bad results, like we'd lost. 4-2 to Reading, who were already relegated or in the process of being relegated. I can't remember which one. Then on our last home game of the season, we got trounced by Liverpool 3-1 with Sturridge scoring a trick And it wasn't exactly the greatest of atmospheres. But then we go down to Swansea on the final day, brilliant day in the sunshine, and we play Swansea off the park that season. That was the Swansea team that had won the League Cup that season. But I just remember the way he finished. And then just for 10, 15 minutes afterwards... Because he'd been he'd been substituted at like the 80th minute or something, and I just remember the whole good atmosphere. Of the the Dimitar Berbatov chant, which is one of my favourites, was meant to go to Italy to me to me, but then got got a call from FFC to me to me. He gets the ball, he scores a goal. He loves to play for Mark the old Dimitar Berbatov, Fulham's number nine. We just sang that for ten minutes straight, just bouncing up and down in the Swansea away end. It was just epitomised, you know, a perfect a perfect away day. And so that will always be my favourite Berbatov. Berbatov moment for just providing that that ten minutes of party atmosphere. Things like that do make a difference, though, don't they? You know, you can talk about a moment of brilliance, but sometimes it's all about the, a moment that they create, just that nobody else apart from those there will remember. And so, certain away games that I've been to as well, like you, are, are just are outstanding for that sort of thing. Um, but we can't talk about Dimitar Berbatov without talking about that goal against Stoke. Both of us have. I've picked probably more random choices, but was it goal of the season for Fulham? That one where I think a Stoke header headed it up into the air and he's just hit it first time into the top corner from inside the box. It's outstanding. 
Yeah, I'd be stunned. Again, you'd have to go back and you know revise it, but I'd be stunned if there was another goal that won it that season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant goal. And like like I said earlier, he scores a variety of goals, but that was just that was just sheer class. Like, he'd be the only player in that Fulham team who could have done anything like that from there. Just superb. Anyway, let's move on then. Um, he was often assumed to be a very quiet character, but we've all seen the video the club put out of several ex-players wishing us luck before we played Aston Villa in the playoff final at Wembley in 2018. And I think he showed himself to have a good sense of humour when uh, when he, he announced, we want to see something like this from you lads and held up the phone to show that clip of the goal against Stoke. Um, and I watched something recently. I don't know whether it was recent, but it was on TV recently where I think um, Gary Neville... And um, maybe it was Robbie Keane. They were talking about Robbie Keane's career on Sky. Um, and they started talking about Dimitar Berbatov and how he was just a bit grumpy. And that's always how he's come across, really, I suppose, you, you know, with his body language and his just general demeanour on the pitch. But that that um, good luck message he posted showed a different side to him, I think. Yeah, it did. It's one of it's one of those great moments. Like I, I still get I still get teary eyed whenever I whenever I watch that moment. For some reason, it always kicks in when Dempsey says it. I don't know why, but the Dempsey when Dempsey says, you know, good luck, it always kicks in. But yeah, the Berbatov one again. It just goes back to you know what we we're saying about the you know keep calm, pass me the ball, T-shirt. Yes, he may be perceived as this guy, but then he just brings out that one moment that makes you realise, oh, he's. I was going to say a decent human being. That's probably a little bit. <laughs> that's trying to make up for too much. But yeah, he's just a really nice guy. You can tell he clearly loves his football. And I remember he was um, pundit for uh, when Spurs came to us in the FA Cup in 2017. I remember watching the game. And he was a pretty good pundit as well. So he clearly loves his football. But just on that just on that day, he could just bring you sheer moments of joy, whether it be with a moment like that or whether it be with a certain goal. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, well, let's come on to rate his career then. What are you giving Dimitar Berbatov uh, for his Fulham career out of 10? It's a tough one because you've really got to break it down into the first season and the second season. I think it's probably the only really fair way to do it. Um, I would pro- I'd probably balance it out at about a six overall. I think that first that first season was just, as I've said, a joy to watch. He made Fulham, again, we weren't exactly... Uh, we weren't exactly the entertainers of Kevin Keegan of the 90s, but there was just something about him that just brought, it was just a joy to watch him play, uh, to be the figurehead of that team to for all the moments of he, that he brings. Yeah, everyone, see, everyone has seen the gif of him, you know, trapping the ball from, I think, against Aston Villa. It's a joy to watch. But you can't really, fa- you can't count that all that without also factoring in the second season. And, now, as you said, it was right to get rid of him because he wasn't really fitting in with the side. Even in the first half of the season, he wasn't really all that great. So I think it probably balances out at about a six, I would say, overall. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go with a seven just because of um, the, the 15 goals that he scored in that, in that first season. Um, and as we know at the moment, scoring goals is the hardest part of the game and to have somebody who could make it look so effortless, um, particularly at a club at the level we were at. You know, we were an established Premier League side at the time, but at the same time, there were plenty of other potential suitors for a player like Dimitar Berbatov who were probably at a higher level than Fulham. Um, so for him to come to us because of his connection with the manager, granted, but for him to come to us and, you know, score that many goals in his first season, 
um, that that gets him a seven alone. And the second season, I think, you know, that 13, 14 season was just a disaster from beginning to end in all departments. And I don't necessarily think that he should be held to account for that. So seven out of 10 for me. Cool. All right, mate. Thank you for that. Let's pass it back to the main show. Fulham. Right, so it's stats time. Stato has sent across the stats file to us. So let's have a little look and see what we've got here. Um, yes, so as well as not scoring as many goals this season because of the the sale of Jota and the lack of um, Jimenez in their team, there's also been an increase in the number of goals they're conceding. They're currently conceding 1.4 goals per game, where last season they were conceding just one goal per game. They've conceded the same amount of goals as us, though, 41 at this point of the season. In away games, this figure is is more. They they can they can see 1.5 goals per game away from home. Um, so you'd think there's no excuses for us not to score, although I'm sure on the podcast next week we'll be trying to find some. Um, actually, I'm not sure. I hope we're not, but I'm open to the idea, that's for sure. Um <laughs> <laughs> their their opponent has scored first in 67% of their away games this season, which is 11 times. And Wolves have only produced an equaliser on four of those occasions. Six out of their nine wins this season have come against teams in the bottom half of the table. Only Burnley and West Brom have managed to beat them as teams who are directly below them in the league. And only Sheffield United have scored fewer goals from open play. They've scored nine. Um, Wolves have scored 14. They've only scored one goal from within the six-yard box. And... It won't surprise you to hear that we're second in that in in that table. Um, we've scored just three, and no team has conceded more own goals than Wolves have in away games this season with three. Right, lads. So let's come across to the players to watch. Who have you got for us? So you've got Pedro Neto, who is uh, the joint top scorer for Wolves this season with five goals, which shows how much they've struggled in front of goal this season. I mean, they've all got about five goals. There's no sort of top scorer, as you were saying earlier. Um, he's 21 years old and he's been a standout performance this season. He usually plays on, on the left wing, but he's been playing on the right a bit now recently as well. And he averages two key passes per game, which is the eighth highest in the league. So he's definitely one to watch out for. And you've also got Ruben Neves, um, the other player on five goals for Wolves. He's just been, you know, since the championship, he's been an absolute rock for them. Just absolute fantastic player. It would be great to have a player like him. Um, the centre mid is, he's not known for his goal scoring prowess, but five goals is the best return since his promotion season in the championship with them. And uh, three out of the five goals have been penalties. So he knows, he knows how to score from the spot and averages 54 passes per game. And that's more than any other Wolves player, so he's one to surely to get a little tackle into. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the one of the only other players really to mention here is Adama Traore, who I know a lot of our fans kind of wanted to bring him in when he was at Middlesbrough. And we got we got promoted, um, but it's fair to say he's had a disappointing season. Just one assist and no goals. I'm not going to comment further on that until after the game, obviously. But um, he's he's still one of the quickest players. He's built like an absolute brick shithouse. And it's a well-known fact, but the Wolves coaching staff rub baby oil all over him so that players, defenders can't catch him, can't keep hold of him. So, um, you know, our, our defenders will have their, their work cut out with him, I'm sure. But um, 
yeah, let's just hope they forget the baby oil and, and someone can, can someone can get hold of his arms do you, because uh, do you he's actually a threat. do you actually think that the staff rub the baby oil over him, or do you think he just does it himself? It's a good point, a good question. <laughs> and um, did you did you not bring it up on the the Wolves podcast the other night? <laughs> I thought that would have been one of the one of the top questions. Um, should have asked. Should have asked. It's a good yeah. point. It's a good point. The stats, the stats we've gathered do say the coaching staff do it, but <laughs> now you mention it, it, it would be strange, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's a, it's it's quite an image, that's for sure. <laughs> oh dear. All right, let's, and, let's um, come on. If I, if I may quickly, just really quickly, Fredgy, there is one other player that I want to mention who hasn't scored a goal for them yet, but it's William Jose, and now this is a striker that we were trying to get uh, a couple of seasons ago. Um, who was had this? It was when we were worried we weren't going to get Mitrovic on a permanent, and uh, we were looking at someone who filled the same sort of role and stats wise. Um, he hasn't scored a goal yet for Wolves, and he is starting for them. And I'm just only scared that us being us will will break the record for him. That's that's the only reason I'm saying watch out for him because we could do him a favour like we usually do. Anyway, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's it. There's a lot of examples of that, aren't there? Really too many. Are. Yeah, far too many. All right, um, starting eleven prediction time. Then Dom, I come to you first. What's your feeling? For, is there going to be many changes from uh, the side that lost to Villa on Sunday? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think Scott Parker's sort of manager will all of a sudden make a load of changes just because just because of a mad what nine ten minutes. I think. Um, I think he thinks. The way the way we play works, and you could argue for sixty five minutes or so, it, it went it was going pretty well, wasn't it, the other night? So um, it, it's easy to forget that in that ten minutes. But before that, we were okay. Mitro was looking quite quite good. He had a he was he was involved a lot. Um, maybe maybe it won't be the same. I don't think he's going to change the defense. Um, he might bring Angisa in. Uh, for for Lamina, um, otherwise it, it's probably going to be much the same. I think we've we've got a quite a settled settled team at the moment. I guess the only question mark that we know of is uh, Adamola Lutman because he went off injured, didn't he? So yeah, of course, yeah. you, you might see you might see Caviero come in for him on the left. <laughs> How about for you, J Mac? Much the same for you as well. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, we, you the ten minutes of madness in the last game, but there were so many more 10 more minutes of madness in other games, especially Man City that I'm worried about. And I, I was thinking that maybe we should do five at the back again to make ourselves more direct and give ourselves a little reset. But uh, I think, I think probably we'll stick to a four, two, three, one. Um, I'd like to see Madger and Mitro up together personally, but I don't see, Bob, I don't see Scotty doing that. I, I'd like to see maybe Mitro and Bobby next to each other. Um, yeah. I, I, the Lookman thing, it seems that a lot of goals that Wolves are conceding are from the left side. So, you know, Lookman's our, our best player on in that position. So I don't know who you replace him with. A lot of people Only. are saying Joe Bryan at the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of people are saying Joe Bryan at the moment. Uh, that's just never going to happen. Scott's never going to start him. Um, people are saying, let's put Robinson on the wing. That's not going to happen either. I think, like you say, Frenchy will be Cavalera probably put there, which is a shame. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I would probably stick to what we had and as Dom says having Gisa there and um, definitely have Cheek in because I think Cheek's improving every game at the moment I think so on the Cavalera point I think is he not is he not his best position the left wing he's been played obviously up front he's been played on the right and if you get the, hmm. the right the right wing back on the left 
I think potentially that's his best position. He likes to cut in, as we know. He could offer support to to Mitrovic. We don't need to have the two up top. And whether it's if if we do that, I'd, I'd probably quite like to see Joe Bryan as a wing back because we know his crossing to Mitrovic is a threat, and he's much better. Yeah. In that position, crossing from deep, isn't he? And when, when Robertson gets to the line or anywhere to cross, we know what the result is. So um, potentially that's an option if if Lookman's out, but ideally Lookman starts. The problem with Joe Bryan now, though, is that he's hardly played all season. So how match ready is he to come in with seven games to go and you know be firing on all cylinders? And it's true. Which, and Traore plays on the right, doesn't he? Yes, yeah, he does. You probably want he, Robinson's pace. He he that. does, but he play he play on the left. He played on the left the last game in the four two three one formation. So you just don't know. You just don't know what they're going to do. If how badly they're going to react, Nuno's going to react to the four at the back formation. He might go back to what was what's actually been their most successful formation, which is three four three. But I don't know. I think they'll they might underestimate us and stick with four. I'm not sure. Either way, it's <laughs> they're, they're a great team and they're better than us, to be honest. <laughs> one way or another we've got to overcome it because if we win on Friday night then we're out of the bottom three and that's a good way to start the weekend obviously let's look at the other games that are to come this weekend and get your score predictions for these really quickly so it's Burnley versus Newcastle midday on Sunday Dom how do you see that one going I I feel if if we don't get a result Newcastle might go and win that. It does kind of depend on ours, but I, I think my my head says that's going to be one all. Another point. No, it's no good. It's not, the, right. end, it's not yeah. the end of the world. If we win, it's fine. But yeah, yeah, quite all right. Jay Mac, how about you? How about you, mate? I'm afraid it smells like a draw to me as well. Um, I feel like um, now that they've got that Max, uh, I never get the name right, Maximilian. Is that right? That's not Maximilian. It's something like that. The, the, the Max guy who's very good for them. And, uh, his and fitness Max- is getting, but that's the one, yeah. Uh, he he He's very good and growing in his fitness and he's probably going to start. I, I feel like they probably could get a draw here. Um, they could even win. I just, I just don't trust Burnley to ever do us any favours. But I'm going to say a draw as well, unfortunately. Another point. No, I don't see it. I don't see that at all. I see this being a Burnley win comfortably against Newcastle at home. I think Newcastle are crap. Burnley at home are strong. Um, maybe even two or three nil. That one I see that that one being. Good um, yeah. Burnley are good at home. Also, they. Um, I can't remember what their result was against Southampton in the end. Did they? Uh, they they were winning. Three, they? They lost. Yeah, they lost. They lost. Yeah. They 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 really need to win as well, don't they? So yeah, they're not safe yeah. yet. All right, coming on to the next game. Then it's West Brom versus Southampton, six p.m. on Monday evening. J Mac. Uh, Southampton 3-1 or maybe 2-1 I think West Brom are going to have a little spring in their step from the Chelsea result but they won't win they're, st- they're still not they're still going down I'll, I'll literally eat something disgusting if they, if they if they somehow survive I was going to say my hat but I, I'm not you know, not wearing one. that <laughs> <laughs> I, I see that one being a draw I think one all um, for that one how about you Dom I could see West Brom nicking it. I don't think it would really matter. Um, although it might by that point, they'd only be a couple of points behind us. But we've said before, if, if we're worried about West Brom, they overtake us and we're down anyway, aren't we? But I can see them taking that. But who knows? It could go either way. Let's go 2-1 West Brom. 
And then after that one on Monday evening, it's Brighton versus Everton. I see that one probably being an away victory. I see 2-0 Everton for that one. How about you, Dom? I think home win. Brighton have... Yeah, they've improved a lot. They're finally getting results that possibly they deserved before that weren't they weren't getting. Um, improving again at home. Uh, I think they're a good side. I think Everton are a bit hit and miss. Uh, so, yeah, I could see a home win there, 2-0. All right. And how about you, J-Mac? What are you thinking? Yeah, Everton have become Everton again recently, unfortunately. And I feel like Brighton are going to win it. I think it's going to be 2-1 to Brighton. All right, and then the big one this Friday night, our game, Fulham versus Wolves. I think we're going to win this one. I see it being 2-1. How about you, boys? Nervy, scrappy, horrible 1-0 to Fulham. It's going to be one of the worst games you'll watch all season. And we're just about do enough. I don't know how how or who scores, but I think we'll just about scrape it just because we really have to. Yeah, um, for the sake of positivity, I- I'm going to say a Fulham win. I'm going to say it's going to be 2-1 as well. Um, I do feel like, though, if we lose this, maybe if we draw a bit, certainly if we lose this, this will be the biggest meltdown on the WhatsApp group on my part. <laughs> I think I think, I think this will be actually uh, me uh, like just really accepting accepting our fate now uh it'll be little red riding relegation though it just i don't think it's just gonna be it's gonna be just awful for me um but i don't know there's always still hope we just got to keep in touching distance in newcastle till the final day but lose against wolves that'll be four in a row it's interesting actually whoever wins this game it will be four in a row losses for the opposition so it's it's quite big for you know destroying whoever's confidence it is you know well, it's unlikely to be a comfortable game to watch, as you say, much like any of our remaining games are going to be. But win, lose or draw, we will be back first thing on Monday morning to look back at the game and hopefully we'll be rejoicing in a well-earned three points. All things being equal, we should have Collins John with us too to look back at the game, so be sure to tune into that one. Don't forget to tell all your friends all about us. You can find us wherever you usually get your podcasts from. Plus, you can find us on all the usual social media platforms. Just search for Fulham Focus on your social media platform of choice. One other thing to watch out for in a couple of weeks' time is the 20-year anniversary of when the Whites gained promotion by winning Division 1 by an absolute country mile under Jean Tigana. Danny and I had a brilliant chat with Kit Simons all about that season recently, and honestly, he was brilliant value, so that show will be out very soon. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. Thanks for listening and speak to you next week. Cheers. Fulham.